Hi everyone, welcome to another edition of Drafting Archetypes. I'm Sam Black, and today we're going to talk about red-white aggro in Kaldheim. Uh, but first, I want to take a quick moment to thank my patrons over at patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes. Thank you to Stephen, Byron, Michael, Arthur, Adrian, Matthew, Arn, Ray, Jack, Jonathan, Parker, Alex, Eric, Kevin, Max, Johan, Daniel, Baptiste, Tobias, Britton, Evan, Eduardo, Eric, Gustavo, John, Graham, David, Tim, David, Dale, and Dennis. Appreciate all of the support. If anyone else is interested in supporting the podcast and getting some perks like all of my draft logs and decks on 17 lands and my show notes where I go over a spreadsheet and think through a bunch of things to figure out what to talk about in each episode and uh, voting on what topics I cover next, which I believe I'm going to start up for Kaldheim uh, for the next show. Uh, go over to patreon.com slash drafting archetypes and check that out. And now let's get into red white. So as usual, we're going to start with what gets you into red white. And the answer is, I mean, obviously, so there are a handful of good rares, um, you know, like the red or white mythic gods, for example, are fantastic cards that can go into any red or white deck, but like Halvar in particular, that's the god that's an equipment on the other side and pumps your equipment stuff and whatever, is a like fantastic card that's at its best in red-white, but is going to be totally solid in any white deck. But ignoring busted rares, the best uncommons for red-white are basically just a bunch of super efficient creatures. Like you're mostly looking at good one and two drops, and it can be hard to be excited about first picking just like here's a small creature because it feels very low impact uh it's just like all right do i want this like good removal spell or this good creature and historically usually the answer to that question is well i want a good removal spell because i'm supposed to prioritize removal in draft because it's hard to find removal and removal can answer my opponent's bombs and stuff i personally have a historical bias for preferring premium creatures over removal because to me the purpose of removal is to answer your opponent's premium creatures and why wouldn't i just play my own premium creature now obviously the creature has to be significantly above replacement but for something like even uh, even something as unimpressive or innocuous as frenzied raider which is the one in a red demon Berserker that gets plus one plus one whenever you boast something. That's just, you know, just a 2 2 with a good ability. But I, I would happily take that over most removal because it can run away with the game in a way that removal can't. If you are ever going to draft like red white, you basically have to be open to taking really solid two drops pretty early as the thing that puts you into this kind of archetype. Alternatively, Maybe you're someone who wants to hold out for maybe the red or white uncommon equipment that can, you know, living weapon, like attach themselves to a creature for some extra mana. That would be Dwarven Hammer or Valkyrie's Sword. 
quick note on Valkyrie Sword. I do think it's like a premium card, but it's very strange because well, it's, it's unintuitive that it would lead to an aggro deck. But in my and it's unintuitive that Nagradak would want it because it's only good for seven mana. However, because the deck that wants it can use Goldvein pick pretty well, uh, that's the equipment that creates a treasure when you damage your opponent, and wants Starnheim Courser, that's the T2 flyer that makes artifacts and equipment cheaper, you can often end up casting it with six, maybe only five lands. And it just provides a really, really impressive late game to a deck that often doesn't have that otherwise. And so it's, in my experience, a significant overperformer in red-white. And another big thing that contributes to that is Axe Guard Armory, which is the land, the Entities of Battlefield tapped land that uh, you can sacrifice for red, red, white, one to search your library for an equipment and a, an aura and put them into your hand. And even though you're sacrificing a land to use that ability, it's still sometimes the case that, you know, by the time you're trying to use that land, it's late in the game and you're kind of flooding out. And just being able to tutor for this, like, giant high-impact threat is really nice. So Valkyrie's, Valkyrie's Sword is not like my favorite card to start with to go into red white aggro and i'm not like committed to i'm not even necessarily looking to go red white aggro if i have valkyrie's sword but i am happy to play like valkyrie's sword is a card i'm willing to take early and red white aggro is a direction i'm willing to go that can use the sword if i have it whereas on the other hand dwarven hammer is a card i'm happy to take early and is a card that is i think at its actual best in red white aggro because it's so good to be able to put a plus three power hammer on a flying creature and just like kill your opponent very quickly with that. And also uh, Starnheim Corsair, the T2 flyer that makes it cheaper that I mentioned, is a smooth natural curve into Dwarven Hammer that's actually really, really strong. Dwarven Hammer is a big pull toward red-white aggro. Another really big pull toward red-white aggro is Kaya's Onslaught. That's the foretell trick that gives plus one, plus one and double strike, which is not quite a red white gold card because so basically it's a card that wants to play with other tricks it's always at its best when you use it to double the effectiveness of another trick basically to create a lethal attack and it's easiest to do that with run amok to get trample but it does also combine very well with the green monster something or other the plus four plus four trick especially if you have a flying creature um, then you're giving your creature plus five plus five and double strike so even if it's just happening to a battlefield raptor now you have 12 damage coming through and there's a pretty good chance that that'll kill your opponent so kai's onslaught's a very very powerful card something i'm willing to first pick i'm not going to take it over like other premium uncommons or good rares but if if the pack's not strong, I would take it among the best commons, and it would be something where I would be comfortable going from there into a tricks-focused red-white aggro deck. I'll get to uh, the various different focuses that these decks can have and how some are tricks-focused and some aren't in a little bit. Another card that is that can definitely lead in this direction is Ruined Crown. Ruined Crown is... It's the tricky thing about Rune Crown is that if you take it, it's good to take it early because 
there are so many, even though the runes are uncommon with five of them, it's so likely that you'll see them in the draft because while they're pretty good cards, they're not super high picks in most archetypes. And generally when I've seen a rune crown and taken it earlier, when I've seen a rune crown and considered taking it early, I end up seeing one or two or even three runes over the course of a draft. The, th the weird thing about taking rune crown though is that you don't know what color the runes that you're going to see are. So if you first pick a rune crown, now it's like, okay, well I have this piece of equipment that's gonna be good in an aggressive deck, but I'm gonna to wanna to potentially be able to cast whatever rune I end up seeing. So now what am I looking for? Like what, what color am I where I'm gonna be able to use that rune? And that can be a little bit tricky, but it can be solved by just ignoring it and figuring that it'll work and you can play an off-color rune and plan to find it with Rune Crown. And if you prioritize stuff like Goldvein Pick to get some treasures, you might be able to cast the rune if you draw even without the Rune Crown. You can pick up some uh, potentially some dual lands or whatever to cast whatever runes you might find. Or, you know, maybe you'll just end up finding runes that are in the colors you end up. And Rune Crown is just a really, really strong piece of equipment that plays well with the other stuff that's looking for equipment in red and white. Those are the basic kinds of cards you're looking for. There are some other... I haven't touched on all the strong creatures. There are some others random, you know... This is a good creature, it's red or white, I'll take it and I'll end up here. Cards like uh, Cole the Forge Master, which is the red-white gold card that likes equipment, or Shepherd of the Cosmos, which is the Fortel Valkyrie that's a 3-3 flying angel that can return something from your graveyard to the battlefield with converted mana cost two or less. Various, just, you know, if you, if you take some good red and white cards, it'll put you into red and white. So the question, like, the really interesting thing about getting into red and white is less establishing yourself in the colors and more figuring out how you choose which kind of red and white deck you are and understanding what and like i think the key to like really cracking the red white archetype is understanding the different sub archetypes and understanding which cards play well together and what cards are pushing you towards wanting to play other cards because all of the cards are aggressive like, I mean, not literally every red and white card, but there are so many aggressive cards that it's very easy to just go like, okay, well, I'll just take a little of everything and sprinkle it all together and have a good curve with some tricks and some equipment and some removal and some creatures. And, you know, all of those things are generically good at pushing damage in one way or another. But I think that you can get a little bit more nuanced and get a better understanding of what your exact game plan is and which cards work well with which other cards and focus on, okay, well, does my deck want an extra pump spell or does it want an extra piece of equipment or does it want a removal spell? And how many creatures am I supposed to play? And all of those questions are really hard. The, the It's red and white, red, white aggro in this format, I think is both extremely difficult to draft and extremely difficult to play. This is like, if you're someone who thinks, oh, you know, I I should just play aggro because it's easy or something, you must have either complete obliviousness to how com how complex the decisions are here, or really really good intuition about how to play aggressive decks, because the the decisions are really complicated in terms of when do you want to use your tricks, how many creatures do you want to attack with, how are you prioritizing spending mana on boast versus spending mana on developing your board how many creatures do you need to play? How does that number change based on 
number of cards that you have that need creatures like tricks and vehicles and equi equipment compared to like removal that doesn't need creatures if you have a lot of removal spells can you play fewer creatures than if you have the other stuff what 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 is more or less mean like how big is the difference there's there's just a there's a lot going on here and it's not easy stuff i can give you some reasoning and point in some directions but i can't claim to have solved all of this myself so to start breaking some of this stuff down and figuring out what the differences are and what the what the possibilities are and what's pointing in one direction or another well let's just get into it so one of the things that you need to figure out is am i a white red deck or a red white deck which is to say what's my primary color you you don't necessarily have to have like a substantially biased mana base or something but it does often help um, in an aggressive deck it's really important to uh, curve out smoothly and to you know like it, it's hard to like bury your opponent in tempo if like you are stuck on two mana and you're like playing weaker cards in the early game than your opponent is as they play their three and four drops. So for one thing that means you want to be careful about cutting lands, which this archetype is compared to other low curve aggro decks, which this is going to end up being, this is actually a low curve aggro deck that forgives you for playing extra lands because you have mana sinks in the form of moving equipment around and using boast and stuff like that. So you're probably not often going to be looking to be like a 15 land red white aggro deck unless you're very close to or actually mono red or white but as your mana is a little bit more balanced and your it gets a little bit more unstable you want to make sure that your land count is high enough that you don't stumble at all so to help not stumble and to help come out smoothly it can help to be oh i'm white splash red or i'm red splash white but more importantly than the mana is the different creatures and the different support cards that they want so there are maybe four different kinds of things that your deck can be doing. So one of them is like, one of them is equipment, one of them is tricks, one of them is going wide, and one of them is removal. Those are, those are the four categories that I think that it's like useful to think about the deck in terms of. And in general, creatures with keywords like equipment, because when you equip a creature with a keyword, you're basically giving the stats on that equipment to, you're, you're adding that keyword to those stats. So if you put a Tormentor's Helm on a creature with lifelink, now instead of your Tormentor's Helm being a 1-1, it's a 1-1 lifelinker. Uh, if you put it on a flyer, now instead of being a 1-1, it's a 1-1 flyer. You could say, well, but why, why is that better for equipment than it is for tricks? Like if I run amok, my flyer and if that's plus three plus three and flying but run amok when you cast a trick you expect that it's going to win whatever combat it's in and so it doesn't like run amok you're not trying to you don't aspire to use run amok to deal three damage to your opponent you aspire to use run amok to kill their creature and deal damage to them maybe to deal more than three damage because you're you have a big creature that's trampling over a small creature or maybe to deal less than three damage but to kill a larger creature that's going to happen more if your creatures don't have flying than if they do have flying and so the flying keyword pairs poorly with the like general goal of run amok 
Different situation, obviously, a little bit for lifelink, because you are gaining a lot of life when you run amok a lifelink creature. But in general, you get more mileage out of just like passing equipment between creatures with different keywords. Take take Fearless Pup, for example. Fearless Pup is the 1-1 first strike for a red that can boast for two and a red to get plus two, plus zero until end of turn. Fearless Pup is basically a 1-1 creature that your opponent doesn't want to block. And if you're not doing anything with your mana, you can spend mana to pump it up. But both first strike and its boast ability basically serve to say, hey, opponent, maybe you don't want to block this thing because it can like win in combat. Like If you block, you tell me to commit my mana to it, and then my creature kills your creature. And so Fearless Pup is basically an evasive creature. Evasive creatures really like equipment and really don't like tricks because equipment wants to connect and tricks wants want to win combat, win creature combats. So that said, not all equipment is created equal. Gold Vein Pick, for example, is particularly this way. Gold Vein Pick really wants to damage your opponent, whereas you can compare it directly to Tormentor's Helm, where, you know, Gold Vein Pick has a trigger when it hits your opponent, Tormentor's Helm has a trigger when it hits a creature. So obviously, Gold Vein Pick wants to be on a creature that is more likely to connect with the opponent, and Tormentor's Helm wants to be on a creature that's more likely to connect with a creature. So that means that, like, Gold Vein Pick, for example, is much better with Flyers, whereas Tormentor's Helm is, relatively speaking, better with not Flyers. Tormentor's Helm is going to play well... So, <laughs> Tormentor's Helm... One, one creature that Tormentor's Helm plays really well with is... And this isn't something that I think you should draft toward. It's just uh, kind of a... To explain the concept, God's Hall Guardian. God's Hall Guardian is the 3-6 Vigilance. And the thing about God's Hall Guardian is it's basically, you know, there are a lot of situations where it's basically free to attack with it, but it doesn't get you anywhere. Because your opponent can block, and they might have like a 4-toughness blocker, so you're not getting through. But they might not have 6 power worth of creatures, so they can't kill it. So you can attack and it doesn't really get you anywhere. Whereas if you have a Tormentor's Helm that you put on the God's Hall Guardian, now you're at least pushing a damage whenever you do that. So any kind of situation where your opponent's going to be blocking your creatures a lot, Tormentor's Helm is good. Where that comes up more is with your boast creatures. Because, so, different, not all boasts are created the same. Uh, same way that not all equipment is created the same. I mentioned in the context of Fearless Pup, its boast ability is essentially a form of evasion. That boast ability is a deterrent to your opponent blocking. Whereas with something like Tuscary Firewalker, which is the three mana, three two, that uh, you can spend one mana uh, to exile the top card of your library and then be able to play it for the rest of your turn. That ability functions like Provoke, uh, which is a mechanic that forces your opponent to block. Your opponent really doesn't want you to just attack them with an unanswered Tuscary Firewalker and keep essentially drawing cards. So when you attack with a Firewalker, your opponent is very incentivized to just block with whatever they have and trade them off or whatever and make the, you know, make the hurting stop, stop you from getting this chain of free cards. Which, you know, that means that Tuscary Firewalker is a card that encourages blocking, which means Tuscary Firewalker plays much better with Tormentor's Helm than it plays with Goldvein Pick. You want to pay, and then, you know, obviously we can get into, like, the wings that give your creature flying, which is, you know, just, like, silly to say, well, that's not very good with flying creatures. That, that's, that one's actually good with creatures that your opponent wants to block, like the Firewalker. In general, there's this... So, the white... 
red deck as opposed to the red white deck is likely to have a lot of a focus on flyers uh, with Battlefield Raptor and Starheim Corsair and Stalwart Valkyrie, and then putting equipment that's good on them, like Goldvein Pick, onto those things. And then that can let you get a bunch of mana to cast Valkyrie's Sword or whatever. And your thing is basically, okay, well, I'm just going to like win in the air, and I'm going to maybe I'm going to prioritize removal in this deck so that I can kill my opponent's things that can block flyers and also maybe efficiently kill my opponent's creatures that are attacking me on the ground so that I'm winning the race. So like the flyer deck is going to prioritize both equipment and removal over tricks. You can still play a trick, especially since presumably not all of your creatures are going to fly, but it's less important in that archetype. Whereas like the base red deck is going to have cards like the Firewalker and then also cards that are just creatures with numbers, like Breakneck Berserker, which is the 3-2 haste for 3, and Craven Hulk, which is the 4-4 that can't block alone for 4. Creatures with numbers <laughs> uh, are cards that are good at forcing your opponent to block because they... They have big enough numbers that are they're aggressively enough statted that your opponent can't ignore them. And so if your opponent can't ignore them, they're going to have to block them. And if they have to block them, now maybe you'd like a trick so that blocking doesn't go well for your opponent. So in general, the bigger your creature is, the less it needs equipment. Because the, the equipment provides, you know, a lower portion of its power. And the creature, like... Equipment's at its best when it's taking a creature that wasn't big enough to do something and letting it do something, like letting a small creature attack into your opponent's medium creature. Whereas if you have a creature that's already the biggest thing, then putting an equipment on it, okay, well now maybe I'm pushing a little bit of extra damage, but I'm already in a really in, in, in a spot where I'm pushing a lot of damage if I'm connecting. And now I've just like further invested into this like creature if my opponent uses a removal spell or something and kills my big creature. So the more your deck is based on maybe like using Axe Guard Cavalry, which is the 2-2 that can tap to give haste, to a Craven Hulk, which is the 4-mana 4-4 four four that can't block well, the less you want equipment because it's just such a small portion of the Craven Hulk size. Instead, you maybe want tricks uh, in case your opponent has to like Double block. Like if if you attack with a Craven Hulk and your opponent has to block with two things, if you have either a combat trick or a removal spell here, you usually get to like two for one your opponent, which is going to be a really ex good exchange. So when you have these creatures that are like just numbers, you want tricks and removal. Whereas whereas when you have creatures that have ability words or well keywords, you want equipment. Then uh, the other direction is go wide. I'm a little skeptical of go wide but only a little there are a lot of cards that like support go wide so cards that i've identified that specifically help a go wide strategy in some way there's clarion spirit which is the uncommon 2-2 in white that uh, makes a 1-1 flyer when you cast your second spell each turn usher the fallen is the 2-1 warrior that uh, boasts for two mana to make a 1-1 warrior fearless liberator is the 2-1 dwarf that boasts for th for two mana that boasts for three mana to make a 2-1 dwarf Doomscar Titan is the foretell 
four four that gives all of your creatures plus one plus oh and haste when you cast it for five mana off foretell or six mana from your hand dwarven reinforcements is four mana for two two one dwarves or you can foretell it for two mana and then cast it for two mana basalt ravager is the giant wizard four two that does damage equal to the most common type among your types to any creature or player generally not a great fit in red white because you're not going to have a lot of giants or wizards which means that it's going to be looking it's either going to be doing one damage by itself or looking for you to it won't be contributing to the count you're going to have to have like a lot of warriors or a lot of berserkers or a lot of humans or dwarves or whatever and then count that so it's going to be hard to use but if you're going wide it might work out for you and then Battershield warrior is the three mana two two that boasts for one and a white to give your entire team plus one plus one gold mod champion is the two three that boasts for white and one to tap a creature this card might not like this might seem a little out of place in the context of things that want you to go wide because it doesn't make additional creatures it doesn't explicitly reward you for having multiple creatures but the reason that it is something that you want in a go wide deck is that it's an answer to your opponent's blockers that make it easier to like attack with your whole team that also is a creature itself so it contributes to your going wide while making it harder for your opponent to get virtual so virtual card advantage is when you have a single creature that has defensive stats that can stop multiple of your the opposing creatures from attacking so if your opponent has a single big blocker and you have three small attackers you might not be able to make that attack if uh, you're not getting enough damage for it to be worth sacrificing your creature for you but if you have removal or something like Goldmaw Champion that can tap the creature that's giving them that virtual card advantage, you remove that virtual card advantage from them, allow all your creatures to attack and force them to, you know, interact with your creatures on a one-for-one -one basis. And then finally, Warhorn Blast is the five mana, all your creatures get plus two, plus one, foretell, and then it only costs three mana. So that's a decent package, and obviously if you're trying to use this package you want to maximize your like no, have as many creatures as possible you you still want you know a smattering of tricks and removal you mostly don't want equipment uh i mentioned when i was talking about elves i think this idea that equipment is good when you're trying to attack with a single creature at a time and tricks are good when you're trying to attack with all of your creatures so like that virtual card advantage situation i was talking about where your opponent has a big creature an equipment a piece of equipment might let you attack one creature into that creature and now you're pushing a little bit of damage every turn but if you have a trick you get to just okay well you have one big blocker that's fine i'll attack with all my creatures whichever one you block i'll use my trick i'll kill your big blocker and now i'll push all the damage from all of my other creatures so the, the more likely you are to be in that spot where you have a bunch of creatures that are potentially being held off by one thing and an equipment wouldn't let all of them go through at once, the more likely you are to want a trick instead of removal, which is kind of weird to think about because equipment does want you to have a steady stream of creatures. But this is kind of the difference between a card like Dwarven Reinforcements that makes two creatures on the board up front, which is good for going wide, versus uh, Beskir Shieldmate, which is the one and a white two one when it dies it gives you a one one that doesn't play well with it doesn't play as well with going wide but it does play really well with equipment because you don't have those cards together you have them sequentially which means that it plays well with okay well i put my equipment on the first one i attack force my opponent to trade off 
Now I put the equipment on the second one, and now both sides of my Beskar shield mate had plus one, plus one, or whatever it was the equipment was doing. To recap, evasion pushes you toward equipment, and Beskar shield mate type stuff, creatures that uh, replace themselves, any other kind of uh, keyword abilities, or I mean, uh, not keyword, well, yeah, any kinds of, yeah, you get it. Those things push you toward equipment, whereas going wide pushes you more towards tricks and removal, less toward equipment. Then there's like going big, I guess is kind of the other thing. That's where we're getting into like the Craven Hulk type space. And that again is gonna be, so going wide or going big, both of those, or going high. <laughs> going high in the air, uh, going big with a single large creature, or going wide. All of those things want tricks and removal. But um, no, going high doesn't, going high wants equipment. <laughs> going high wants equipment. <laughs> going big or going wide want removal. That discussion kind of works backwards in that you will often find out that you are a tricks deck or an equipment deck before you have your creature base. So that is to say, if you have a Kaya's Onslaught early, you're going to be a tricks deck. So now you want creatures that play well with tricks. So because I'm starting with Kaya's Onslaught and I'm looking for Runamox, I don't also want to be prioritizing evasive creatures and creatures with keyword that want me to go a different direction. I want to be prioritizing creatures that are just good at pushing damage and good at attacking. So I'm, I'm looking for more of the red creatures in that kind of deck. Whereas if I start with something like Cole the Forge Master or uh, Ruined Crown that are good equipment or want good equipment or Dwarven Hammer, now I can take the creature, I can take the flyer, I can prioritize the flyers, the first strikers, the lifelinkers, the cards that are good with equipment. Usually these common creatures that are kind of interchangeable that you'll get later, you're basically using your high picks that tell you which of these kinds of decks you are to determine which of those creatures you're going to take later. So it's not so much which, like in sealed deck, it's much more likely that you would say, okay, well, these are the creatures that I have. Are these creatures that want me to use the like common, you know, the, the, equip, the tricks and equipment that I've opened, or do they want me, or, like which of those do they want me to use? But in draft, what's gonna happen is you're gonna find some powerful cards that point you in one of the directions. And then you're gonna wanna choose creatures that maximize your ability to take advantage of that direction. You have to kind of like work backwards a little bit. Okay, Axgard Armory. Axgard Armory is the land that searches for an equipment or and and or an aura that I referenced earlier. I don't think it's a card that you want to first pick or anything because it does need you to have good auras and equipment to find. But it's a card that I think you can count on seeing pretty often in, when you're red-white later. And it's a remarkably powerful card. I personally significantly underestimated it before I played with it. Um, the the equipment that you can get is often a big deal. Like you can gen you can usually find a relatively high impact piece of equipment in red and white, and knowing that it exists. Basically, basically where I'm going with this is you really want to prioritize bound in gold exactly as kind of the most premium removal spell in red white uh, over all the red removal because your axe guard armor can find it and. That's actually like 
not a small thing. It's like when your land searches for both a threat and an answer, it's like the best divination. Like you're drawing two spells and you're drawing spells that like one of them answers your opponent's thing and one of them threatens to kill them. So it's just always good. But you need to you need to have a bound in gold for that to work. And so you want to, especially if you don't have any yet, you really want bound in gold to turn that on. And then also as it happens, uh, it's just a really good rate removal spell for what you're trying to do in uh, red white, you know, like clear a blocker and attack. So I think bound in gold is, it's always one, it's always the best white common, but it's, you know, if we're pack two and I'm red white and I see bound in gold and demon bolt and I don't have a bound in gold yet, I would probably take the bound in gold over the demon bolt just to enable an axe guard armory later if I find one, because the cards are like going to be pretty similar for me in general. And that upside on bound in gold is significant. The And there there are not a lot of other good auras to find. Like if you don't have a bound in gold and you do have axe guard armory, you might want to put the plus one plus one and when this thing dies, I get a one one flyer. I think that's like the only other common aura that you can find in those colors. And then there's the uncommon plus two plus two aura in white, which is pretty good uh, if you have a bunch of flyers. And then there are the runes that you can potentially find. I should mention the runes. I think that both the red and white runes are pretty high pick picks. And if you have them, they really, really push you toward wanting equipment. Because especially, I mean, really just both of them. Like... It's not hard for your opponent to... It's much easier to answer a creature than it is to answer an equipment. There's both more just like actual removal spells that do it, plus just combat. <laughs> Combat's a really good way to answer a creature, but not a great way to answer a piece of equipment. One of your creatures every single turn having lifelink is a much bigger deal than a single creature once having lifelink. And putting a rune on a creature to give it haste is almost never going to matter. Putting a rune on a Tormentor's Helm so that every creature you play has haste and a tormentor's helm if, once you have some uh, one free mana that's a really big deal now your opponent knows like always has to leave an extra blocker back and stuff if like the runes are good but they push you toward wanting equipment which is fine because the equipment plays well in red white anyway but again you have to understand okay well i have some runes so now i'm thinking of myself as the equipment deck so now i'm gonna you know prioritize battlefield raptors which i might not have wanted in my trick stack because the like one point to turn from the battlefield raptor isn't going to add up to like enough to justify the card whereas well if i'm putting a piece of equipment on to make it hit for more than one and maybe give me a treasure or whatever well now this is a pretty good card yeah that was some more about getting into equipment and using armory uh, i covered go wide all right, let's let's try to get into unpacking boast. I, I talked some about how you know there are a lot of different kinds of boasts, like fearless pup discourages blocking, whereas Tuskiri firewalker encourages blocking. Goldmaw champion disables blocking, which is just a whole different thing. And so, like for the most part, you know, I've already talked about how. Some of the cards are better when your opponent's going to be blocking, and some of them are going to be worse when your opponent is blocking, which means it's not simple in terms of like, oh, well, so basically you want to figure out, does do the boast abilities that I have, are they provoke or are they evasion? Are, do they lead to more combat or less combat? And then 
build your like you know build your cards around with an understanding about what that means is going to happen but sometimes it's confusing <laughs> um like axe guard braggart is the uh boast that gives it plus one plus one and untaps it that permanently increases your the size of your creature which means that it can get out of hand it's generating a permanent resource which your opponent wants to stop from getting out of hand potentially by blocking and killing it but it's also discouraging blocking because it's a it's threatening a pump effect and you know you might not actually want to spend the mana on it but it, your opponent has to treat it for the purpose of lining up their blocks as a larger creature than it is and that's that's a very similar situation to the pup where i talked about that being evasion so in that case it's just confusing. <laughs> like, is is this an incentive or a deterrent to blocking? It's contextual and hard to say. At the end of the day, I think you maybe treat it as neutral and think of it roughly like a Craven Hulk, but you might have reason to believe that it leads more one way or another than I do at this point, and you might be like, Sam, you're being ridiculous. This is something that clearly makes your opponent X, and I'm going to treat it as a card that encourages X. The other thing about Boast is it's like more i'm not sure that the terminology that i use won't get confused with other magic terminology but i'm going to say more parasitic than synergistic and i'm going to and i'm not sure that those are the best words to use to explain the point but what i'm getting at is that for the most part less is more with boast in that boast is limited by the amount of mana you have and so you often can't use every boast ability. And so like the first boast ability you have gives you a mana sink. The third boast ability you have gives you options, but you can't take advantage of all of them because you don't have enough mana. One thing that that means is the first boast creature you attack with each turn has the most... The, the, you have diminishing returns for, for additional boast attackers, which means that your priority when you have creatures with boast, you want to be able to attack with at least one of them each turn. Being able to attack with all of them, eh. But the first one, the first one lets you spend your mana productively, which going back to the go wide versus one at a time nature of tricks versus equipment suggests that boast plays well with equipment. You suit up your one boast creature, you attack, the equipment let you make this clean attack, the fact that you've attacked lets you use your boast thing. But that is that whole idea is competing with the other situation about whether you're encouraging blocks or whether you're uh, encouraging evasion, and are we talking about a cheap boast ability or an expensive boast ability, and all the details matter, and there's not a really simple rule about oh, boast means this, which leads to a lot of confusion when, for example, you start a draft with Frenzied Raider and you're like, okay, cool, I want boast creatures. That gives me a pretty clean direction. Okay, so now do I want tricks or equipment? I don't know. It depends on which boast creatures I end up seeing. And like, okay, well, I'm looking for boast creatures. That's cool. All right, so I want a lot of creatures with boast. Well, now you run into the thing that I just talked about where you get diminishing returns on your boast creatures. So like, that naturally leads to, okay, well, maybe I don't want so many creatures with boast. I want to make sure that I just have a few. And it's like, well, but no, this, this raider really pays me a lot if I have a boast thing going. So I guess that means prioritize cheap boasts so that you can use all of it. 
but again, it's it's not simple. This archetype is not simple. I, again, I'm trying to give you the tools to like think through all of it more than I'm trying to spell out. Oh, you know, here's an easy flowchart. If this, then this, then this. Uh, both because it's too complicated. I just don't know it at this point. And you know, it's a draft. You don't always have. Like if I say, take this card, then this card, then this card, well, what happens if you don't see the middle card? And so you need to be more nimble and able to like think about the effects of each of your cards and which ones are most important and how strongly each of them incentivize you toward the thing and figuring out like, how is this deck gonna play out and what do I need to like maximize the way that like this is gonna play out based on both what I have so far and what I expect to see and how I expect to prioritize those things and what my deck is gonna look like in the end. Now let's talk about removal, because I've been focusing on equipment and tricks, but red, I mean, like, it's easy to look at the red cards and say, oh, well, the top three red cards are Demon Bolt, Frostbite, and Squash. Those are all efficient, like, those are all good removal spells with costs that make sense for their effects, and removal is generally, like, at a premium and limited, so, all right, well, the best the best red cards are all these removal spells but if you're drafting around equipment or if you're drafting around go wide synergies or if you're drafting around tricks you really need creatures and you can't you there's just not room for like removal and equipment and tricks and creatures so where does removal fit into this puzzle and how much do you want it? So a card like Frostbite is a really efficient removal spell, but it's not very versatile, especially in a deck that's never going to be able to deal three damage with it. And I'm gonna say straight up, your red-white deck is never going to be able to deal three damage with it. That you shouldn't ever draft with like, oh, well, what if I pick up enough snow lands that I have three of them? Frost, Frostbite, is the only card outside of rare that rewards you for having snow at all. And the two other rares that reward you for having snow in red and white reward you incredibly minimally. So don't ever waste a pick speculatively taking a snow planes in your red white deck. It won't do anything for you. Completely, completely, completely ignore snow lands when you see them in the pack and you're drafting red white. No hedging. It's literally just a basic. Don't spend a pick on it if there's actually anything that you could use in your deck instead. And don't, and like, even if, even if things break such that you get like three free snowlands, do you know how unlikely it is that you draw all three of them and then like spike, okay, now my frostbite does three? It's, don't think about it. Frostbite does two damage if you play it in red white. Why would you want to do two damage to a creature in your red white deck? <laughs> Genuinely, what's the point? Like, uh, it's they're they're two toughness creatures gonna block one of your creatures okay fine just trade and play another creature or use a trick to get over it you want your removal to clear to stop your opponent's virtual card advantage to clear their blockers you like frostbite would be a good sideboard card in the red white mirror because it's going to trade up on mana in a spot where like aggression and exact mana use and stuff can matter but it's going to be horrible against a lot of decks so I just don't think that it's worth having this card that doesn't like can't 
damage your opponent in any way, doesn't contribute to your aggression, doesn't push through bigger creatures. So, like, Frostbite is not a card you want right away to aggro. Squash. Do you know how many of the cards that you're looking to play are giants? It's exactly Craven Hulk. Any commonality? Craven Hulk. That's the only one. Maybe you can find some deck that wants to play the, like, Bloodline Pretender or something, but, there, okay, okay, there are a couple of rares. There are a couple of rare giants you might want to take. Squash is basically going to be five mana to kill a thing, and five mana to kill a thing is not what you're looking for. When you are getting rid of their blocker, you're trying to, like, turn on your ability to boast, and you're trying to not spend your entire turn. You're trying to, like, get ahead. So squash is also just not what you're looking for. All right, great. Two removal spells out of the way. While we're at it, Iron Verdict, the deal five to a tapped creature, great white removal spell in a control deck. Again, don't even think about putting it in your red-white aggro deck. Killing a tapped creature is not what you're looking to do. If, you, if your opponent's creatures are tapped, something's gone wrong, and, or you've tricked them into racing you and you're about to kill them with tricks. So now we've gotten it down to a common that you're only looking at the premium removal. You're only looking at Bound and Gold and Demon Bolt. It is good to be able to like answer your opponent's creatures sometimes. Nothing wrong with putting the uh, Bound and Golds and Demon Bolts in your deck. But, and I, I already talked about how Bound and Gold in particular you really want specifically because of X-Guard Armory. Demon Bolts is a great card, but I don't know that you will always take it over, you know, even other commons. It's good but like if you are you know very aggressive very like especially if you have kai's onslaught or something um it's very easy to be in a spot where you want run amok over it or even where you're like you know i, I have a good number of tricks i'm well positioned to get my creatures through but i'm a little short at this point in my curve and it's fine to just like i'm gonna take a to carry a firewalker or i'm gonna take an axe guard cavalry or something over a demon bolt if you're in a spot where you're like, you know, it's pack three and you're like dangerously low on creatures and high on cards that need creatures like tricks or equipment or something like that. For the most part, you should definitely take Demon Bolt over a creature. I'm not saying, you know, Demon Bolt versus Tuskiri Firewalker pick two after you have Cole the Forge Master as a close pick or anything. But I, I am saying, you know, when you're trying to measure the quality of your red white deck, you're not counting your removal spells. That's not what's going on. You're counting your premium creatures. You're looking at your curve. You're looking at your ability to like close a game or push through blockers or something. And removal's a way to do that, but it's not the only way, and it's not really like essential. Think, think that might. Oh, uh, one last little 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 card I want to touch on is Wings of the Cosmos. Um, this is a card that's really easy to overlook because it's just not a very strong card. And so I, I often just, like, even if I'm starting to draft this deck, just, like, don't see it in the pack. And that, that's a pretty big leak. This card's not to be ignored. It, it is significant. Like, plus one, th plus three for one mana is very capable of fully swinging in combat, killing your opponent's creature, and saving yours. Um, and flying is great for pushing damage. This is, and the cheap trick is really, really good for boast. Wings of the Cosmos is best... Ex exactly with Tuskiri Firewalker. But if you have like three or four Tuskiri Firewalkers, which is honestly not particularly hard to do in red white aggro because it's a super premium card for you that like any of the more controlling red decks aren't that interested in. 
then you might start like actively wanting Wings of the Cosmos because it's just like such a clean play to attack with Tuscaria Firewalker. Your opponent like has to block with their, you know, similarly sized creature. You save your Firewalker, you kill their creature for only a single mana, and now you can still potentially boast and still take advantage of that boast. That's uh, that that's one to look for. I want to talk, I guess, very briefly, some observations that I had from doing the, like, laying out uh, the commons that exist to figure out, like, okay, what does the curve look like and stuff? Observations. There is a real uh, overabundance of expensive cards. There's just more than you want at four and five mana, which means you really, really, really shouldn't prioritize any of them. And at four mana, you have Axe Guard Braggart, Craven Hulk, Star St Stalwart Valkyrie, and Dwarven Reinforcements. Now, both the Valkyrie and the Reinforcements can cost less mana, which is a big deal. But these cards, like Braggart and Craven Hawk, I think. Sorry, Braggart and uh, Craven Hulk, I think, are very, 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 very close in power level. And you only want probably like one or two of them total in most aggro decks. So basically, just don't you'll you'll get enough four drops, and you can also you can use God's Hall Guardian as a four drop. So you'll you will getting sufficient numbers of four drops is inevitable. So uh, basically, like if you have a pick that's between one of these four drops and a playable creature that costs less mana, you basically always want to take the playable creature that costs less mana. At three mana. Four good creatures, two white, two red. Uh, in red, you have Breakneck Berserker and Tuscary Firewalker. In white, you have Gold Maw Champion and Starheim Corsair. The Firewalker and the Berserker are the 3-2 Haste and, well, the 3-2 the, uh, um, Boast, look at a card, and the 3-2 Haste. And then Starheim Corsair is the 2-2 Flyer that makes stuff cheaper, and Gold Maw Champion is the 2-3 Tapper. All four of these cards are pretty good. And... All four of them are not very desirable to other people, which means, again, you don't really need to prioritize any of them. You're going to, it, it's, you don't have to go very far out of your way to get enough on plan solid three drops. Now, at two drops, there are a few bad ones, like the one three that can make treasures or the two one rummager, but the ones that you actually want are Axe Guard Calvary, which is the 2 2 that can tap to give something haste, Story Seeker, which is the 2 2 lifelink and Beskir Shieldmate, uh, which is the 2-1 that makes a 1-1 when it, when it dies. X-Guard Cavalry is probably worse in red-white than it is in all of the other red combinations because you have fewer like big creatures for it to give haste to, but it's a fine 2-drop. But I think you want to prioritize the white 2-drops. And here I was saying, okay, well, you know, you have an abundance of 3 and 4-drops, so you want to prioritize the 2-drops. But... If you only look at the commons, you there are deceptively fewer... It looks like there are fewer two-drops than there actually are when you're drafting, because there are a lot of premium two-drops in your archetype at uncommon. There's Clarion Spirit, uh, which is the thing that makes... A, the 2-2 two -two that makes a 1-1 one -one flyer when you cast your second spell. Fearless Liberator, which is the boast that makes a 2-1. Frenzied Raider, which is the 2-2 two -two that gets bigger when you uh, boast. And Cull, which is the 2-2 two -two that... Red-white legend that's awesome with equipment. These cards are just the highest priority in red-white because the uncommons are so much better than the commons and two drops are where like the uncommons 
are the most over replacement. So like the best thing about drafting red white is that it's extremely predictable. It has a lot of redundant effects at common that other people don't really want. So you know exactly what your deck is going to look like, which means that like you just know your game plan and you know what to plan for. And it's all about just like, okay, well, which of these like, you know, kind of interchangeable cards am I prioritizing? So you want to spend all of your like high picks taking these like premium two drops because they're always going to be the most value over replacement that you can spend a pick on outside of a busted rare. So that's why I was saying that these premium two drops are the early cards that you see that get you into red white because I was talking about how, you know, it's not, you're not going to evaluate the quality of your deck by counting your uh, removal spells. You're going to evaluate, like, it's reasonable to evaluate the quality of your deck by literally just like, okay, how strong are my two drops? If my two drops are all the busted uncommons, my deck is probably great. If my two drops are just like a bunch of Beskir shield mates and stuff, I might have a good curve. I might have enough strength in other places that I can get it done. But my deck would be so much better if those were Frenzied Raiders or Clarion Spirits or Coles or something. So yeah, super, super, super uh, look for the uncommon creatures, take them over all the fancy stuff, all the removal, all the tricks and stuff like that. That, <laughs> uh, that, that was the longest I've gone on a single topic uh, during the lecture, and I am shocked that I had more to say about red-white than about five-color snow. But let's open it up to the viewers. Any questions that you have from that? Anything you didn't, you thought I didn't cover? Any, you know, let's let's see where people are at. Make sure I got everything. So first, I'm gonna review uh, any comments that I may have missed from people chatting while I was talking about stuff. But uh, please, even if you asked something before, ask it again now if I still haven't answered it. All right, there's a question about the Uncommon Saga that's uh, forging the Tyrite sword or whatever. I think that the only cards that would make me consider putting that card in my deck are the White God, um, which it can find, and uh, Valkyrie. The, the White God that it specifically names, Helvar, I think, and Valkyrie's Sword. You could maybe make a case for it to get Dwarven Hammer, but I don't think it's worth it. If I don't already have either of those cards, I'm going to uh, treat Forging the Tyrant Sword as unplayable. If I do have those things, I have insufficient experience to know for sure, but it looks like it should be reasonable to me. Even then, I'm not going to prioritize it. I would just, I'd be willing to, I'd be willing to experiment with it at that point. So the next question is, um, since Firewalker is a premium red common that... All right, I, I'm confused by this question. So the question is, since Tuscary Firewalker is a premium red common that I basically always want to play in multiples, should that nudge me toward the going high build of red-white by default? So when I said going high, I was talking about playing flyers um, to have evasion, and that's not... That's a whole different thing than the Firewalker. So if your guess is other people are going to be taking your Firewalkers, so you should expect to not have them, that hasn't been my experience. And my experience has been mostly that people have been, like, see Tuscary Firewalkers tabling, and they're like, how is this happening? This card's so good. But not that many people want them, so it just, it does table. Um, so if you specifically value Tuscary Firewalker highly, then I, th I think, so 
in my notes, I kind of uh, color-coded cards by, well, is this a card that wants tricks or wants equipment or wants to go wide? And I didn't color-code to Scary Firewalker because it plays well with equipment because um, that can let it attack um, and it's good if it attacks by itself and you get to do the boast thing. But it's also good with tricks because the nature of the card is that it has that provoke effect that I was talking about where... You know, you attack with it, and now your opponent has to block it, block it, and so now you use a run amok, and maybe you have enough mana left to do its uh, thing, or maybe you don't. And you're just happy that you got to spend your run amok profitably. But it's, just, it, it's a very, it, and it's also really good re with removal, and it's also good at going wide because it helps. Like going wide is a deck that needs like a critical mass of cards, and it just helps you get more cards. So like Firewalker is just generically good in all the different things. And so I think that just like on balance, it doesn't push very strongly in any direction. Looks like I might have covered almost everything, which honestly uh, makes some amount of sense. Uh, these things usually seem to come out to right around an hour, regardless of how much time I spend talking before or after answering questions. It looks like I might have just managed to anticipate everything here. So um, there was one other question, which was from a viewer, if we wanted to rewatch this video, is it available anywhere? So I'm recording, uh, right now I'm recording Drafting Archetypes, my podcast. Uh, you can find it on YouTube or uh, any podcast app. And each episode tends to go live a couple days after this live recording. Uh, for anyone who's listening to the podcast, you can join the live recording Thursdays at 8 p.m., on central on twitch and for anyone who is on twitch listening to this and interested in reviewing it later uh you can find the edited podcast either on youtube where you'll get to see cards pop up as i talk about them and stuff like that or on your favorite podcast platform and if you want links to any of those specifically uh all of that is um compiled on in a few places uh the easiest for me is my website samuelhblack.com and for anyone listening to the podcast i have a website uh samuelhblack.com that uh has links to all my different content and information about booking coaching sessions and all of that yeah that is going to wrap us up for this week thank you everyone who's here with me live and everyone uh listening to this later I hope I managed to do justice to this strong and complicated archetype. I hope you uh, enjoyed this and wish you success navigating this and drafting red-white on your own in the future. And I hope you are encouraged to come back and check out the episode next week. Thank you and goodbye.